0: Welcome to the menu on Native America Calling, our regular feature on indigenous food news. I'm your host, Andy Murphy. Here in the Southwest, tamales are a traditional holiday treat. These delicious bundles hold more than masa and a meat filling though. Tamales are an ancient staple originating from indigenous Mexico about 10,000 years ago. That's one food topic we'll focus on this hour. We'll also talk with the owner of the first indigenous restaurant to open in an airport and recap the year in native culinary events. We're back after the news.
1: Alaska state troopers are investigating the death of a homeless man in Fairbanks who was found frozen to death during last week's extreme cold snap. KUAC's Tim Ellis has more. Troopers identified the victim as 55-year-old Charles Akiviana of Fairbanks. They say they got a call in the morning of December 23rd from a man staying at a hotel off Old Airport Way reporting that he discovered a frozen body in a snowbank. A National Weather Service meteorologist says temperatures dropped to about 32 below zero on the night of the 22nd, and the wind chill the next morning was 54 below. Troopers and Alaska Bureau of Investigation officers responding to the call recovered Akiviana's body and sent it to the state medical examiner's office for autopsy. They found a tent in the woods nearby containing his belongings, including a wallet. City Housing Coordinator Bryn Butler says her office wasn't aware of an encampment in the area, but she learned Tuesday that there are about a half dozen tents there.
2: I will be sure to reach out to any of our people that bring out services to encampments and see if we can verify the number of people there and get them into housing like emergency shelter.
1: Butler and another Fairbanks homeless advocate say depending on the outcome of the autopsy, Akiviana's death could be the first case of a homeless person in Fairbanks freezing to death this year. Brenda McFarlane coordinates the city's Crisis Now program, which promotes mental health services for the homeless. She says the need for those services is growing, and she says it's especially important to work with Fairbanks area nonprofits to assist the homeless during the winter.
0: When we have temperatures like this, there are many agencies that are reaching out and
1: telling people about resources. For National Native News, I'm Tim Ellis in Fairbanks, Alaska. Tribes in South Dakota say they're still reeling from the recent blizzard that left many stranded without vital resources. That's prompted renewed calls for improved aid to make it through future weather events. Mike Moen
3: reports. The storm cut off roads to areas such as the Pine Ridge Reservation, forcing some residents to burn clothing and furniture to stay warm. State Senator Troy Heinert is a member of the Rosebud Sioux Tribe and says the conditions there were extremely dangerous too. Heinert says tribes already have limited resources and can only do so much to prepare.
4: Considerable investments in, you know, roads and bridges and equipment, manpower is going to be needed if if we're going to continue to have storms like this.
3: He calls on local, state and federal leaders to ensure infrastructure needs and emergency planning for tribal areas receive priority. In response to the current storm, South Dakota's governor ordered expanded National Guard missions to help affected tribes, including hauling firewood from the Black Hills Forest Service. Heinert says that assistance was a huge help, but notes residents are still having trouble getting to their livestock. Tribal governments have their own emergency preparedness plans, but often lack enough snow removal equipment to prevent snow drifts from swallowing up fields as well as surrounding roads.
4: What we found down here in Rosebud is we had no place to put the snow. There was so much, and it was so deep, and it was so heavy.
3: And because first responders had trouble reaching homes, Heinert and other local leaders say a 12-year-old boy died after suffering a medical emergency. Because of term limits, Heinert won't be back in office in the new legislative session, but he says he will continue to serve as a voice for remote tribal areas in need of additional support.
1: That was Mike Moen reporting, and I'm Antonia Gonzalez.
4: National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Ramona Farms, offering wholesome and delicious foods from our heirloom crops as our contribution to a better diet for the benefit of all people. We are honored to share our centuries-old farming and culinary traditions online at RamonaFarms.com. Support for law and justice-related programming provided by Hobbs, Strauss, Dean & Walker, a national law firm dedicated to promoting and defending tribal rights for nearly 40 years. More information available at HobbsStrauss.com. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.
0: This is the menu on Native America Calling. On the menu, I bring Native chefs and those working for food sovereignty on the show to talk about current events, issues, and topics. I'm your host and resident foodie here at the NAC studio, Andy Murphy. Today, we're taking some time to celebrate tamales and learn about its history and culinary significance. I'll also talk with the owner of Vancouver's Salmon and Bannock on the Fly, a new Indigenous restaurant and the first Indigenous restaurant to open in an airport. You can join the conversation too. What native food news and topics of this year were important to you? Give us a call at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us now from Vancouver in British Columbia, Canada is Inez Cook. She's the owner of Salmon and Bannock Bistro and Salmon and Bannock on the Fly. She's New Hulk. Welcome to Native America Calling, Inez.
2: Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me.
0: Of course. Good morning to you. So, you know, you must be, you know, still getting congratulations from folks about opening Salmon and Bannock on the fly. Um, so so tell us about the tell us a little bit about the restaurant and how the reception's been so far.
2: Well, um, the idea came up during lockdown, actually, because um, Salmon and Bannock Bistro is. Vancouver's only Indigenous restaurant and it's just a tiny little bistro it's about seven or eight tables. and during lockdown when we couldn't have guests in, we had to come up with other options and we've never been fast food you know and it's always been a sit-down experience and we were like okay how can we save our business and we came up with a brand aligned menu for Uber Eats and that kind of helped save us during the pandemic and for years, um, one of our friends at YVR International Airport in Vancouver has been bugging me like a little mosquito in my ear saying, why don't you open it, YVR? Why don't you open at YVR? And I was like, it's a great idea, but I'm busy and I can't do it. And um, I'm also, I was a flight attendant as well. So I spent a lot of time at YVR. And um, all of a sudden when the pandemic hit and we started doing Uber Eats, I phoned my friend and I said, "Okay, let's do it." And um, I know what the traveling public wants. I was part of it. I retired in September from my flying career, and you know, it's it's when I travel, I like to try food from the land. And I thought this is a great a great way to share our culture with international travelers.
0: Nice. And uh, YVR is the Vancouver International Airport yes okay so. Cool. Yeah, I remember, um, you know, actually visiting the small bistro in Vancouver, and you know, I still think about that uh, bannock and cedar jelly. It's it was like one of the one of the best things I had that year, and it was back in twenty twenty or maybe twenty nineteen. It was just before, you know, we all started getting locked down and everybody started moving over to working from home, and um, I remember that was one of my last trips. of Albuquerque before we all got locked down was uh, Vancouver. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, visiting your restaurant was a really uh, awesome experience. I got to have salmon in a couple of different ways and, you know, a, a wild rice dish, a wild rice and salmon bowl that, um, you know, was was really, really delicious. I uh, You know, I tried to recreate it a couple of times because <laughs> I just needed to have something like that uh, here in Albuquerque. Uh, but uh, you know tell us a little bit about the the menu over at uh, Salmon and Bannock on the fly and how is it different from uh, the bistro
2: so we you know we have to keep it brand aligned um, the hours are different uh, at the airport and it's 365 days a year which is also different
0: <laughs>
2: mm. um, but yeah so at YVR we have to serve breakfast so we are doing like um, you know egg sandwiches on bannock uh, we're doing it with they can add game salami so right now it's like um, elk juniper salami so we'll add some crispy elk salami on it or um, some salmon lox uh, with the egg and cheese and tomato on bannock um, we make yogurt parfaits with dairy and non-dairy yogurt and then we add our medicine berries to it either the sweetgrass infused cherries or the sage infused blueberries to the, the medicine parfaits um what else do we do um we've been doing bannock french toast in the morning uh this morning they're coming up with a new one which is like a stuffed bannock with the salami and peppers and eggs and cheese and some fun things like that uh we're getting to be super creative um for the lunch menu, we have our, so like at the dining room on Broadway, we have a bison pot roast that's slow braised for 24 hours. So at YVR on the fly, we have um, hot open-faced bison sandwich. So it's like pulled bison with the gravy on top of the bannock. Um, and we have like a sockeye filet with bannock. Uh, we do the sandwiches all of our sandwiches are on bannock uh we do a feel the beat salad um some grab and go items we have an ojibwe wild rice pudding which is a huge hit perfect for a snack for a flight
0: mm-hmm.
2: um yeah like grab and go items and some we have like a um we do a chili a vegetarian chili we do bannock tacos on the chili as well with the chili as well
0: hmm Nice. I mean, you know, we're we're talking about um not just any kind of airport food. <laughs> you know, that that uh, menu sounds really really awesome. It sounds like um you know, something that uh, myself and like other people who are, you know, excited and and you know, enthusiastic about food would need to visit, you know, at that airport. Um, you know, what kind of messages are you sending to uh folks who are, you know, they're rushing by or they have like a layover for a couple hours there at uh, uh vancouver international airport
2: we have our music playing and um our slogan for this location is feed your spirit and so we're sending that messaging to our guests um i had a mural done i had this idea in my mind and i wanted this this woman standing there with her arms raised inspired by my button blanket with a salmon on the back and Coast Salish artist Charlene Johnny did the mural for me and it's just stunning and I think it it has so many different meanings with the woman with her arms raised in the air wearing the button blanket to the floor Um, her arms are raised and it's blessings it's safe travels, it's gratitude it, it means so many different things and I think it resonates with the the traveling public even if they're in a rush and they see it i don't know i think it brings them a little bit of joy and helps feed their spirit along their way as well
0: nice nice um uh, and you mentioned you were a flight attendant for you know a number of years uh you know how how would you um you know how would you maybe like uh not compare but how you know how does um you know, cultural food, uh, stand up in airports. I mean, airports seems like it's just, uh, you know, nobody, well, when I go, you know, (laughs) and I'm in an airport, I'm like, I don't really want to be there. I want to hurry up and get into the city that I'm at, or I want to go home. Um, and you know, I, I usually just like kind of starve through the airport until I get out into the city. But, um, you know, I, I think lately the, the, uh, you know, airport, food fairs maybe like changed or or like stepped up a, a couple of notches there but how would you see uh salmon and bannock on the fly you know kind of among all of these different um local uh and even cultural restaurants that are out there in the world and of of you know airports
2: well i mean the the location that i chose at the airport is is at international departures, and it's after the duty-free. Mm-hmm. So the guests have already gone through security. So now they can kind of relax. And if they're locals, their holiday has already begun. Once they get through that security, and then they can kind of relax. Um, we're licensed, so people can sit down, relax, have a glass of wine and a nice meal before their flight. And a lot of times for international travelers, a lot of times they're there three hours before the flight. So it's a captive audience as well, <laughs>
0: right.
2: which is why I chose that area instead of other areas in the airport. Domestic travelers are usually in a rush to get to their gate. They usually show up 10 minutes before the flight. That's not my customer. So
0: yeah.
2: the good thing about being in the airlines for so long, I, I totally know how to peg down my customer. Mm. And, and I know what they want. Um, that being said, we're right stationed right beside starbucks and it's funny because we didn't know how much coffee we're not trying to compete with them we're we're a restaurant we're mm-hmm. serving food but of course we have coffee available and good coffee available spirit bear coffee an indigenous company like amazing but um we didn't know how popular it would be because we were like literally right beside starbucks
5: mm-hmm. and
2: uh we ran out of coffee like the I don't know, second day, I think. And we had to go <laughs> on an emergency coffee run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: spirit bear coffee that sounds good um so we're gonna go to a break in just a little bit but we are here talking with inez cook she's the owner of the new restaurant at uh vancouver international airport called salmon and bannock on the fly are you familiar with bannock is that something that uh you know you remember eating visiting you know our first nations cousins up in canada or is it something that uh you know you make here in the states as well tell us about your favorite bannock dish um that's 1 2848 to get in on this conversation uh after you know we we talk with uh, Inez we're going to go over and talk to a couple of folks about tamales because it is peak tamale season right now at least here in the southwest but we'll learn more about it uh later in the hour so join us we'll be back after this break
3: The game of stickball comes from North American indigenous people and local and national leagues continue the tradition. It's a combination of fierce competition and cultural connection. We'll learn more about the history and the modern legacy of stickball. That's on the next, Native America Calling.
6: Cachet! Prevent the spread of flu and other respiratory illnesses by rolling up your sleeve to get a flu shot. Mask up, sleeve up. Contact your local Indian health care provider for more information or visit www.medicare.gov coverage slash flu dash shots. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services.
0: You are listening to the menu on Native America Calling, our regular feature on all things new and newsy in the world of indigenous food. I'm Andy Murphy. We're focusing on. A restaurant that uh, just opened this month in the Vancouver International Airport. It's called Salmon and Bannock on the Fly. You can join our discussion too. We're we're kind of really talking about Bannock today as well. Um, so what is your favorite Bannock um, recipe or dish? Uh, you can join our, our conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. You can also call in and tell us um about any uh, food news and issues that uh, you really resonated with this year in 2022. Again, that number is one 800 let us go back to, um, oh, let's actually go to the caller lines here. We have Shell listening in Fort Hall, Idaho on KISU. Hey, Shell.
7: Hello, uh, good morning. Uh, Hi. For sure I'm on once. Uh, yeah, the
5: the uh, I'm from the Bannock tribe of southeastern Idaho, and we were originally called uh, the Panacwita. We're from the river, people from the river, the Snake River, and the word Bannock,
7: I guess, became nationally known through the commodity flour that the government handed out back in the day, and I guess they picked that name from there, but. Uh, we really are the Albanic uh, Shoshone of southeastern Idaho.
0: Nice. All right, then. Well, thank you so much, Shell, for uh, joining us there. I mean, you know, all, the, all of these different bread recipes, we have, you know, what I've heard of like outside bread. We have, um, you know, fry bread and bannock. I mean, all of these uh, different breads, I mean, they're so delicious and they're now part of our, uh, you know, culinary culture, um, you know, but they were introduced in a couple of different ways and it's really fascinating how these different uh, recipes kind of spread throughout um, all of, uh, you know, our communities in Native America, even First Nations up in Canada. Um, So thank you again, Shell, for for joining us. Again, if you want to join, we're talking about food today. If you want to call in and talk about what kind of foods you're celebrating the holidays with, uh, the number is 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99NATIVE. Let's go back to our guest, uh, Inez Cook. She's the owner of Salmon and Bannock uh, on the fly and then the beast show in the city of um Vancouver. So uh, uh Inez um you know the you, know, you, you told us about some of the the dishes on the menu there at salmon and Bannock on the fly and you know I definitely you know really love all the different things you guys can do up there with uh, uh, Bannock I've had you know pizza and sandwiches and you know a lot of stuff on on uh, your menu there at salmon and Bannock but um, uh, I wanted to you know ask you about um, your connection with uh, these indigenous foods I know you you were part of the 60s scoops 60s scoop. But, um, you know, how has, you know, going through this uh, entrepreneurship, uh, entrepreneurial journey with Salmon and Bannock helped you maybe reconnect with your uh, cultural food and, and with the, you know, First Nations community up there?
2: Yeah, well, that's right. I am part of the Sixty Scoop. Um, for those of you that don't know the term, um, it's when the government went in and it took away the Indigenous kids and adopted them to non-Indigenous families. So I grew up without my culture, without my heritage, without my family. And, um, you know, it wasn't until after I opened the restaurant that I got reconnected to my biological family. And it was all over the media that a New Hulk had opened this restaurant. And the New Hulk community didn't know me. So, you know, they they were a little bit uh, hesitant to believe that it was really a New Hulk person. And then when they came in to find out, they realized that we were actually related and super special. And since then, I've been to my homelands of Bella I got reintroduced um, to my community and I received my button blanket and my traditional name, which is Nitzmana. Um And, you know, my life changed when I went back to Bellacoola and I got reconnected. And um, my whole team at Broadway is Indigenous and from all across uh, Canada, different different nations and um i'm still learning every day i'm not an expert by any means and you know in canada alone we have over 600 nations and so many different cultures to celebrate here and Mm -hmm. um i love it like i think it's amazing and there's not just one way to be indigenous you know Mm -hmm. and uh so you know i i'm learning every day and celebrating and you know i like looking at food trends and When I was a flight attendant, I was constantly checking out food trends around the world and bringing in different ideas. And, you know, we're modern and we have ovens now and we can do some really cool things. We have a sous vide, you know, like we can do some super cool things with our ingredients. And I think that's super special.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, I, I love seeing that kind of mix of, you know, some of this real, um, you know, this, uh, you know, culinary training and things chefs learn from other communities and then, you know, really revamping and and, and doing all kinds of really awesome, delicious-looking experience uh, experiments with uh, indigenous ingredients. Um, you know, some of those ingredients out there can be really versatile. I mean, it's it's surprising how different Something can taste when you're, um, you know, switching up time and heat and you know different uh, cooking methods and stuff like that. So, you know, that's why that's why I love food here. That's why we all love food here, right? Um, (laughs) But uh, uh, um, uh, Inez, you mentioned uh, that uh, you know you had this idea to open up uh, Salmon and Bannock on the fly uh, while we were in lockdown. How was it trying to you know put together a team? Uh, during the pandemic, for this opening that happened this month in December,
2: it was super stressful. <laughs> yeah, and and trying to hire as many people as humanly possible, and not knowing how many people we need, <laughs> and training them, you know, and so at international departures, we have an international team. And I think it's great because the more languages and the more cultures that can understand who we are and what we're doing can share that in other languages as well. Mm -hmm. And so we're growing our team immensely right now. And so at Salmon and Bannock on the fly right now, we have a team. uh, We have people from Mexico, people from the Ukraine, um, Ethiopia, uh, Trinidad, Japan, um, of course, indigenous as well. Um, It's, Amazing! It's it's fabulous how everyone's coming together and celebrating this. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to share something with you as well. Just recently, I was part of a group that went to Paris. We were invited to Paris to introduce indigenous culinary from Canada to the French media, Mm -hmm. and we did this at Studio Alain Ducasse, which was really special. And um, I got to serve the amuse bouche, so I brought some hot smoked candy salmon with maple and pepper, and some sweet grass-infused cherries, and some dreamcatcher wine,
7: <coughs>
2: and mm-hmm. served the amused bouche to the French media in Paris, and that was really, 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 really special. And I was featured in Elle magazine in France.
0: Mm, nice yeah i, I remember seeing uh, a couple of those photos um on on your social media uh that's really cool that's really awesome that you're uh we able to do that and um uh it, you know what you know i know you're kind of still settling in with uh, salmon and bannock on the fly but is there anything um you know you want to tell our our listeners about um how to find information on uh salmon and bannock the bistro and the the airport?
2: location yeah www salmon uh, we are actually just going to be adding some um, pay, um what is it print on demand uh merch coming up which we're really mm-hmm. excited about and so yeah there's going to be some gorgeous things coming up on our website
0: cool all right well thank you so much Inez for joining us Um, I'd like to go over to our uh, other guests we have here uh, and like to switch up the topic uh, from you know salmon and bannock over to tamales (laughs) so joining us from Oaxaca Mexico is Naftali Duran he's a chef who is mixteco from Oaxaca welcome back to native america calling Naftali
6: hola greetings everyone
0: happy to be with you. Yeah, thank you so much for joining again. So, um, you know, you know, here in the Southwest, you know, we call it uh, you know, what well, what's the holiday season? It's tamale season. But I know uh, you know, maybe it's a little bit different there in uh Mexico. And um, you know, before we get into that and how, you know, you know, tamales are viewed and eaten uh in in different regions, I just want to ask you about uh the the origins of tamales first. So, where are the origins of tamales, and, and how far back does this, uh, um, you know, this dish go?
6: Yeah, I mean, uh, because I'm from Oaxaca, and I'm very proud of my communities here. Mm-hmm. We always say the, uh, we always say, but we can also back it up. The uh, most of agriculture and culinary traditions originate in Mesoamerica, which is now Oaxaca, Puebla, Veracruz. And uh, Chiapas, southern Mexico. So first we have, uh, first we have to simply that becomes corn and gets domesticated and grown, and we go, go we go from, uh, we go from, uh, from being uh, people that move around and hunt and gather to agricultural people that stay put, and uh, along the way we. Uh, after the domestication of corn, obviously we have mixed tamalization and at some point, probably around eight thousand years ago, we have a, we have tamales, and it's one of the most uh, one of the most amazing inventions in culinary traditions, and it expands all across the continent. We go from a, a, we go from having tamales just in Mesoamerica to having tamales that are called umitas in umitas in Ecuador nil down bread in uh, in Navajo country and mm-hmm. and on and on. Just in Mexico, we have things called corundas in Michoacan. We have a porcitos in Yucatan. We have tamales Oaxaqueños, which are the best, of course. And then we have uh, we, I just I just tried this uh, this big 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 tamal, the size literally the size of a of a baby. It's like a huge huge tamal that, mm-hmm. that is rolled in layers from the Huasteca potosina from the uh, in northern mexico
0: mhm mhm uh you, you mentioned the uh, uh the tamales uh, oaxacan what, what is that you said it's the best why is it the best
6: uh, oh, okay. just like Oaxaqueños. anywhere you go in mexico and in the in the you know anywhere you go in the world when people say tamales you know, it's one thing people say, like, Oh, tamales, that's okay. But if you say, like, Oh, we make tamales oaxaqueños, then people really, really get excited because it's, you're really getting the best of the tamales.
0: Okay. All right. So, yeah, different uh, variations of uh, tamales. Is it, um, it so it's, uh, you know, the definition of tamale is it uh, just, um, you know, masa? you know, a cornmeal uh, around a filling and then wrapped in some kind of wrap like a horn cu- corn husk or, um, you know, sometimes it's banana leaves. Like, what, what is the definition of tamale? I
6: mean, tamales are just like, historically, tamales were, you know, corn and whatever filling you had. Mm. With colonization, now people, are, people started to add lard, You know, because, uh, you know, uh, the Europeans brought over pigs. So we had lard, which wasn't traditional before that. Um, And it really depends on on the region. Most of of Mexico will always use corn husk as the wrapping. And then you have a mixture of soft masa that gets boiled for uh, 45 an hour, sometimes more to make the, to cook the tamales. And the filling is whatever you want. The the filling can be anything. You know, it can just be like green salsa or it can be as complicated as mole and turkey. And obviously uh, in the US, a lot of people are experimenting and trying brand new, uh, you know, are trying their own own traditional foods put into a tamale. So things Mm -hmm. are always changing.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I see that sometimes too. Just watching um, other you know n- indigenous chefs on social media, um, you know, do different experience with tamales. Um, and and definitely that's something that my family has been doing the last uh, six or seven years. Um, you know to you know tamales. Uh, it wasn't something that my my immediate family like my parents and you know even my sister and I. It was you know tamales weren't something that were um you know always made during the, the holidays because for us, you know, it's it's a holiday food. Um and uh you know for the last six or seven years we've been just like uh um you know sitting at the table making masa and some kind of uh filling and, um, you know, the masa recipe would be different, like, every time because, you know, my mom and myself will come together and we're like, I saw so-and-so on TV do it this way, and she added this to it. Or, you know, my dad will chime in and say something like, well, you know, my, my cousin over here from, you know, Winter Rock this is how she did it, and this is how it tasted. So, you know, we'll get, uh, you know, different kinds of masa's coin and all the shapes will be different. They never look the same because the same thing, we're like, oh, I think it's, it was like this at this restaurant or grandma so-and-so did it like this. So I'm going to do it like this. So it's been really fun to, um, you know, experiment. And even this year, you know, all the, all of our tamales look different. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that has become a tradition for us to, you know, really swap stories uh, because, you know, we'll mention a, a cousin or, or, you know, a, a grandma somewhere. And then stories will come out and it just turns into this like really cool, um, you know, bonding moment, messy, um, uh, you know, around the table. And it's really a good time. And then after that, you know, we get to eat all the all the tamales and, you know, it doesn't matter what shape it is you know it, it still tastes really good. I still have you know a couple dozen in my fridge still <laughs> to eat for the rest of the week um uh but Neftali, we're gonna go to a break in just a bit, but i wanted to um i wanted to ask you about um <clears throat> uh you sent over you sent over a couple of photos uh and there was like this uh it was like a black uh, uh mole negro. Uh, t- tell us a little bit about that uh, that that recipe there, and um, uh, that tamale making uh, experience. You know, in the in the photos you sent me.
6: Yeah, I mean, I, a few days ago, I think it was last Sunday, my mom and I went to visit a Zapotec family. Mm-hmm. They, they, we have a reforestation project going on here in Oaxaca. People can uh, can look at my Instagram and learn uh, learn about it a, a little bit more. But I went to visit a, a Zapotec family and uh, I walked the fields and we were talking about like uh, where working uh, with plant trees and what mm-hmm. is what this family wants to achieve in the news, new in the new in the next few years regarding their land. Yeah. But my mom and the rest of uh, the rest of the hosts made tamales hey, in
0: hey, the field. Sorry about that, sorry about that. We'll come back right after this break.
3: Close to half of American adults have high blood pressure. Of those, about 75% don't have it controlled. Chief Medical Officer at the Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital, Dr. Luke John Day.
7: Have your blood pressure measured yearly by a healthcare professional and regularly monitored at home. The American Heart Association has developed the
3: Get Down With Your Blood Pressure campaign using music and dance. Learn more at heart.org slash HBP control. They support this show.
0: This is The Menu on Native America Calling, our regular show on Native American food and food sovereignty. I'm your host and producer, Andy Murphy. We've been talking about tamales today, and uh, there's still time to join our conversation. Are tamales something that you, uh, you know, enjoy making with your family, maybe around the holidays? Or how how and when do you uh, bring tamales out to the table and, and you know, have a tamale-making party with your friends? family or friends, give us a call. We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99NATIVE. And uh, before I go to this caller here, I'd like to um, go back to Neftali. Uh, Neftali, sorry about that interruption, but um, you were saying that uh, you are, you know, of course, uh, back in Oaxaca, your hometown, uh, you know, doing this uh, reforestation project, and then you met up with a Zepotec family, and then you know there were there were tamales. <laughs> yeah, uh, go ahead continue.
6: In the field, literally under a mesquite uh, a mesquite tree, my mom and the rest of the house made tamales, mm-hmm. just a little uh, a, a little tree stone uh, fire, and we had a, del- a very very delicious tamales. The mole negro mole negro is the most traditional is the tradi- one of the most traditional moles in Oaxaca, mm-hmm. and. Uh, it's not as spicy as the other moles, and um, it really has a sweet flavor. And when you buy tamales oaxaqueños in a in a banana leaf wrap, usually it will be mole negro. Mm.
0: Yeah, yeah, and the pictures it looks really, really dark, uh, really black. It looks. Um... Delicious. <laughs> um, so let's go over to our uh, uh, caller here. We have Jose listening in Albuquerque um, on KUNM.
7: Hi. I wanted to put a spotlight yeah. on the South American tamales, specifically on Venezuela and Um So we will cook a stew, put it inside the masa, but before putting it wrapped with the banana leaves, we will add some extra raw ingredients, onions, bell peppers, <clears throat> almonds, raisins, uh, capers, olives. Mm-hmm. And so we wrap these into the uh, masa with the banana leaves, and we tie it with twine and subject it to a second cooking, and we steam uh, cook it for an hour. Mm-hmm. And so that is like a, a variant but also tells you that the culture of corn is also uh, specific to South America, not only Central and North America.
0: Right, right. That sounds delicious. Thank you so much, Jose, for uh, joining in. Uh, Neftali, you know, we're talking about uh, the culture of corn, the popularity of, uh, you know, some of these indigenous foods and ingredients. And, of course, one of them, of course, is uh, tamales. And um, when we have, uh, you know, an ingredient, uh, a food uh, a dish like tamales uh, getting very popular here in the United states um, how does the popularity of this cultural food uh affect um you know affect affect the food and the culture and people where it comes from
6: yeah i mean that's a really interesting question and and complicated I like to say the well first of all let me just go back to a thank you Jose for highlighting that there's also uh, you know tamales in South America and if anybody wants to geek out and learn more about uh, learn more about the foods of the Americas a uh, chef and historian Maricel Priscilla wrote a book called La Gran Cocina Latina and she has a chapter on uh, all the variations of tamales all across the continent if you want to geek out you know, go go look out for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, look out that book, La Gran Cocina Latina, Marisol Priscilla. When it, when it comes to food uh, changing, you know, obviously we have uh, what I like to call cultural synergy or culinary synergy, where we share recipes with uh, other communities, with other indigenous communities, with Afro indigenous communities and uh, food changes. But uh, what we have now is uh, in in Oaxaca. is an interesting conversation going on regarding how food is going to change because of media. Meaning, uh, when Netflix come and shoots uh, shows in Oaxaca, they're highlighting uh, specific foods or businesses. How is that going to change the? How is that going to change the the dynamic and the 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 food, the food, and also like the prices. People like me, they, you know, work in the U.S. and come home. Of course, I can afford, you know, I can afford to go eat at a place the charges, uh, charges a lot of money for people, for tourists to come and eat. But regular people that live here cannot afford those prices. So how is media changing the way we eat and the way we see food and the way we pay for food?
0: Right, right, definitely. Um, um, Oaxaca's been, um, you know, mentioned and spotlighted in so many, um, you know, food media and, and Netflix pieces. I, I, I definitely see that. Um, you know, I, uh, right now I'd like to go to our um other guest we have here. Uh, joining us from Albuquerque is Eric Garcia. He's an artist. Uh, welcome to Native America Calling, Eric.
5: Great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for joining. Um, you know, I wanted to reach out to you because I, you know, every time I, I, I you know, talk about tamales or, or, you know, am making tamales, I'm thinking about tamale man uh that's something (laughs) i saw at the uh uh, 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 hispanic cultural center here in albuquerque uh, a couple years ago and i you know it always pops up in my mind like tamale man so uh, tell me a little bit about, about tamale man uh your 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 character that you you came up with
5: yeah, Tamale Man is a is a superhero character I I, I came up with long long time ago the the Marvel from the Masa is mm-hmm. his tagline. And uh and I, I I basically created him to for one, that I didn't see enough uh Chicano characters in in the in the in the comic book universe, so I wanted to develop my own. And then second, of all, I wanted to make this this type of uh, comedic satirical character that can talk about Real-world, uh, complicated issues. So I often put Tamale Man, which which is a is a funny-looking character who has a head, a giant head of a tamal, with the, the the corn husk being his his um his mask, and I put him in in different uh, real-world real situations to to be able to talk about uh, you know complicated and, and sometimes really, uh, um, frightening. Things that, that happen in our real world, world, but with a, a satirical and, and fun way to to, to 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 get into these these issues.
0: Right, right. And uh, what would Tamale Man be fighting against today?
5: Oof, there's so many different things he'd be fighting against today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess one one local issue to New Mexico that's that's happening right now is is there's a uh, huge number of of detained uh, immigrants in the mm-hmm. Torrance County Correction Facility there in Torrance County, New Mexico, and and the only crimes these people have committed is 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 is, uh, is traveling to to find a, a better place to to live a better way of life, and and now they're they're imprisoned, you know, by our government. So if Tamaulipan right now should be breaking down those walls and and freeing these people that have been uh, uh, persecuted for 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 trying to live.
0: Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> um, so So you know the fact that you know tamales have uh, come all this way uh, and they're still very much a part of Mexican and Mexican American culture, you know, what does that say about uh, the power of you know a single food item of, of tamales?
6: Uh,
5: because, like your previous guest explained, it's a, it's a, it's a food, an indigenous food that's been here for centuries and has lasted the the test of time, and and people still love and and cherish the 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 tamal not only as a food but also as a communal communal effort. As as you explained earlier, you know families get together during these holiday seasons to make these things, so it's a communal effort to to bring families together to talk to share stories and then uh, at the at the end of it all to to consume and have a meal together, so I think there's a lot of history there's a lot of culture there's a lot of um great tasting uh, mm-hmm. attributes to the tamal
0: right um how do you um i guess uh, bring tamales into uh your life and your family
5: uh, well i just i've just went through a a uh, tamale fest with my my parents there we've been eating like uh Tamales every day since since Christmas. <laughs> so, uh, and then it's funny too because just like your your previous guest has explained, there's such a variety of tamales. But here in New Mexico, the most popularized version is is the the red pork, yeah, in in the corn husk tamale. That's 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 really gotten familiar in New Mexico. But there's so many different varieties. If you go down to Mexico, there's 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 tamales with cheese. There's tamales with uh, um, green chili tamales there's sweet tamales there's such a variety so mm-hmm. it's it's interesting the 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 limitations unfortunately that that, that our taste buds uh, have been privileged to hear in new mexico
0: <laughs> all right cool well um uh, eric where can we find your art and um you know maybe uh tell us what what uh you're working on lately
5: um, you can find my stuff at Eric J. Garcia, if you're looking from the internet. And then uh, if you want to follow me on Instagram, El Machete Illustrated is my tagline on, on Instagram. Um, I I actually just finished a comic book strip uh, within uh, the Tamale Man universe, dealing with his origin story. So the the origin of, the, of Tamale Man was he was a, a military uh, sentry on duty there in White Sands Missile Range uh, back in 1945, when the United States exploded the very first atomic bomb. So a lot, a lot of people uh, don't realize, but Japan wasn't the first people that was that was hit by the atomic bomb. It was actually the people of New Mexico. And when when this this uh, sentry was on duty at the 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 missile range there in White Sands, the uh, atomic and nuclear uh, blast hit him and 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 radioacted it himself and his in his lunch basically which was a tamal, and that's how he became tamali man again trying to make a satirical uh comic strip and and, and bring in some real life history and, and and uh and uh criticism to to our to our everyday use
0: awesome all right, cool. Well, um, Eric, I'll let you go. Um, uh, but thank you so much for joining us today. I look forward to seeing more of your work and um, definitely more from Tamale Man. So um, thank you again. Uh, I'd like to bring back uh, Neftali over in uh, Oaxaca. Uh, Neftali, I mean, I, you know, I was talking about how tamales are like a, a holiday thing here, so was Eric. Uh, but, um, you know, how have have, uh, you know just the place of tamales kind of changed over time and with colonization and Christianity?
6: Yeah I mean uh, uh, tamales here in Oaxaca are usually eaten in the morning it's a it's a breakfast you eat a tamale and a corn drink called atole and that's like a full meal, full traditional indigenous meal that people eat. And I was I was mentioning before yesterday, I think we were chatting how uh, people also put a whole tamal into a piece of bread. Obviously, bread is relatively new with colonization. And. But you put a whole tamale into a bread, and those, that's called a guajolota, or like a turkey. You know, translation will be like a turkey, mm-hmm. and that's a started breakfast, a really nice breakfast for people going to work in the morning. The way things have changed, and the traditions, the traditions have changed uh, around tamales is really interesting. It, it, three Kings Day is coming up, where you have, a, where you have, you where you like have this rosca reyes which is like a round round bread and then in the middle they hide little baby jesuses plastic baby jesuses
0: mm-hmm.
6: and whoever gets that uh, whoever gets that baby jesus owes the family or owes uh, uh, tamales and and a, a tamale feast later on during the year Mm-hmm. and i was mentioning yesterday the, my friend sheldon uh, sheldon belarde who's an amazing, amazing potter in hicarilla apache mm-hmm. Apache came came to visit oaxaca a few years back and he got the baby jesus i never came back to pay his debt of tamales <laughs> so my nieces and my niece and nephew are always asking when, when is he coming back to pay the tamales <laughs>
0: Right. Is there like uh, maybe some kind of consequence like, oh, after after five years, then this is going to happen to you (laughs) if you don't uh, pay up those tamales?
6: I think we're going to have to. uh, We're going to have to leave it up to the kids to see what the consequences will be for Sheldon for not paying out, paying up his (laughs) debt. Okay.
0: All right, well, um, uh, Neftali, we're gonna wrap it up in in just a few moments here, but I wanted to ask you what's your, uh, what's your favorite uh, type of uh, tamale?
6: Oh, that's a really hard question. I think uh, there's this tamal called rajas that has, uh, that has, uh, jalapeno peppers and red peppers and a little bit of cheese. I think that's my favorite. Nice. It's very delicious in you know, like a tomato sauce. Very simple, but it brings out like all the flavors and rounds up a really nice tamal in the you know any time of the day.
0: Mhm, nice, you know, um you know, just just uh, you know, thinking about all these different varieties of tamales I saw uh you know at um itality um and we covered the opening of Itality restaurant a couple uh last month um on Native America calling the menu and uh she has a a menu item called a hand grenade, <laughs> and it's basically like a big big like bigger than your fist like a big giant tamale (laughs) called a hand grenade (laughs) and you know um you know Navajos you know we make tamales all all the time you know but they have to be like seriously hot and spicy and um you know some of my favorite tamales I've had come from you know our, our Pueblo friends very very good with the chili very spicy and um delicious so it's lunchtime, so we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up. I'd really like to say thank you to our guests we had on today, Neftali Duran, Inez Cook, and Eric Garcia. We're back next year with another 250 plus conversations about indigenous issues and topics. So I'm Andy Murphy, uh, producer and host of the Menu on Native America Calling.
4: Support by Department of Homeland Security, Brandi Bynum, Program Manager, DHS Blue Campaign, has tips to combat human trafficking.
7: On January 11th, Wear Blue, the international color of human trafficking awareness. To help raise knowledge of this crime, take a photo and then post it on social media using the hashtag WearBlueDay, and empower your community to access Blue Campaign's educational resources to stay informed.
4: Learn more about preventing human trafficking at dhs.gov slash bluecampaign. This month and every month, remember, one in three Native American adults have high blood pressure. Check it at your nearest community health center. If the numbers are above 120 over 80, talk to a health care professional. Native community well-being is very important. You can take action by visiting heart.org slash HBPControl. This support provided in partnership with HHS OMH and HRSA under cooperative agreements CPIMP 211227 and CPIMP 211228.